Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by RX Bar. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com forward slash brain and make sure to use the promo code brain at checkout. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I read your questions, sometimes, most of the time, and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to read you this um, list I created. I'm not going to just read it. I'm going to talk about it too. But the list is the 10 signs that you're being difficult or even manipulative to your partner or other people, and you may not even know it. I received an email that I'm going to read in the next segment about someone who's been in many relationships, but she doesn't know if she's being manipulative, but the relationships end. And she doesn't know why. She she thinks she's doing, you know, well. She thinks she's arriving, showing up in the relationship as a good person. And she'll even ask her partner, you know, is everything okay? And they'll say, yeah, everything's fine. And I'll I'll read the email and we'll get into it. But um, it prompted me to create maybe a list of items that maybe you could look at in your life to figure out perhaps if you're showing up in a difficult way. And um, it could be a manipulative way too, but uh, difficult as in someone is less and less enticed to be around you. Now, this is completely just a tip of the iceberg list. Some of it is actually from the mean workbook that I sell at loveandabuse.com, but um, these are some major players in manipulative and difficult relationships that I think it's important to know, to to carry with you, to understand, just in case you think, hey, you know, life is great. I am, I treat everyone nicely, and I'm not the one with the problems. They are. And when we go around with this attitude that we are all that, that we are healthy. We are not dysfunctional. We are functional. We go If we go around with that attitude and other people around us seem to be more upset or unhappy than perhaps you think they should be, then we have to bring it back and go, wait a minute, I, am I the common denominator here? Am I making it difficult for these people? This is part of the process of you know improving yourself and being introspective and always, always working on yourself. I don't mean 24 hours a day. I just mean when things happen in life, even to other people, we look at our role in that situation, in that event, 
and we ask ourselves, did I have anything to do with this? And again, you don't do this 24 hours a day, but you look at the patterns. What, you know, what patterns have repeated themselves in my life? You know, when I was married, when my wife said she wanted a divorce, I, I, I was shocked. You know, I had this narcissistic perspective that there was nothing wrong with me. Um, and so when she said this, it was a real eye-opener. This is why I sometimes, you'll hear me say, uh, sometimes it's a gift to leave an abusive person, emotionally abusive, or a difficult person when they don't get it. It's a gift to them because it opens their eyes. That's what happened to me. It, it opened my eyes when my wife said, I want a divorce. I'm no longer in love with you. And in shock, what, 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 me? <laughs> and so it made me look at all my past relationships and realize, holy crap, I am the common denominator in every one of these relationships where they left me. There's got to be something I have to look at. I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Me? I'm the nicest guy. I'm the people pleaser. And when I looked in the past and saw all of these failed relationships, or they weren't, I don't call them failed relationships. Every relationship was a success until they left me, and then I considered it a failure. But the relationships themselves were great while they lasted, um, at least from my perspective at that time. But, you know, they slowly disintegrated and so on and so on. I, I just got a really better perspective looking at the past and understanding that, oh, I must have played a role or I must have played a bigger role than I thought. And I think that's a good place to go in yourself to ask yourself the question, what role did I play in the disintegration of this relationship? It can be a romantic relationship, it can be a platonic relationship, it can be a friendship. What role did I play? Well, it was all them. I mean, that's where most of us automatically go. It was all them. They did it. They lied. They cheated. They stole. They did this. They did that. And then to look back at ourselves and go, well, how did I play a role in that? Why should I take any responsibility for that? They did it all. And it's true that there's usually like a culprit. You know, there's a perpetrator. But there's also the person that knowingly or unknowingly, directly or indirectly, enabled the behavior to continue. And that's a tough, that's a tough thing to accept sometimes. Like, I, I didn't enable him or her to continue that behavior. Why would I do that? Because sometimes we have needs that we want to fulfill. Sometimes we have hope that what we're witnessing won't continue. So we let it go. Then we get to the next day and the next week and the next year and we realize, oh, they did it again. Those sons of, you know, this person is evil. Yet here we are having allowed that first or second or third or 10th or 100th bad behavior to happen again in our relationship and they have no real accountability. I mean, sure, you could yell at them. Sure, you could get angry at them. But guess what? You're still in the relationship in some way, shape, or form, unless you're not. And that's when the accountability kicks in and they realize, oh, this is serious. Oh, you're really serious. You'd leave. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is what you learn over the years is that you learn to honor your personal boundaries. Um, don't let people violate your values so that when they do violate it, 
you make them accountable. You show them that there are consequences for their behavior. Hey, you lied to me? Wow, if you lie to me ever again, I'm not going to stay in this relationship because I want someone who isn't afraid to express their truth to me and be honest with me. I don't accept lying in the relationship, unless it's a surprise birthday party. But, you know, you want someone who is in alignment with your values for the, for the most part. You know, you try to get someone that's in most alignment. But then you have those top-level values that, you know, shouldn't be violated. No, betrayal is not good. It's a violation. Dishonesty is not good. It's a violation. When you get really clear inside you what you will and won't allow in your life, the people in your life either understand and, I don't want to use the word conform, but honor those guidelines, those criteria. And when they honor those guidelines and criteria, they, of course, expect the same from you. And that's the balance that you get in a relationship. Uh, when they don't get it from you or when you don't get it from them, there's an imbalance. And now you have to talk about the consequences. There's an imbalance here. We need to talk about this. Oh, I didn't know I was violating your values. I'm sorry. Okay, well, let's not let that happen again. I don't want that in my life. Okay, great. I won't. And then everything is copacetic and you can move forward. That would be great. That's a very optimistic perspective of what could happen. And it can. I mean, that's the kind of relationship I like to have is, hey, you did something that uh, I didn't appreciate. Let's talk about this. Oh, yes, let's talk about this. I don't want to do something that, you know, you feel is disrespecting you or violating any value or boundary. And it's a great conversation to have because it helps you both grow. So my whole point is when you are really willing to work at the relationship, both of you, and really willing to take responsibility for your role in the relationship and how it is progressing and how you're getting along, engaging how they feel and how they're doing, and at the same time being aware of your feelings. Are you feeling more energized to be with them or depleted in energy? being with them or is it you know a steady balanced pace throughout each day where it's not an overage or an underage of energy um, there are certain ways of being that are more peaceful and then there are certain ways of being in a relationship that aren't as peaceful aren't as comfortable and even downright miserable so my goal with this show with what i talk about is to help you be in relationships that aren't miserable. I mean, that's not the only goal, but that's one of the big ones. I would love to have all my relationships not be miserable. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Meaning there are people in your life that will show up that are going to be challenging, that are going to test you, that are going to cross your limits and cross your boundaries and violate your values and then you have to make these small compromises sometimes and small sacrifices other times. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes they're so toxic, you just have to get away from them. Because there's all kinds of people in the world. It's like, um, I think it was a conversation in the Facebook group. If you're not part of that, you can look up the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group on Facebook. And uh, if you're 18 or older, you can uh, join some of the great conversations we have in there. And one of the conversations was about family. And how sometimes or often family doesn't get along. 
oh, my brother is really toxic and my father is this and my mother is that. And when we have a family reunion, it always turns out into a, a verbal brawl and people get drunk. And I'm thinking about the whole dynamic of family and how we bring all these families together. And sometimes people don't get along. It's like if I went to a family reunion, this is what I said in one of my replies, if I went to a family reunion and my stepfather, I knew he was going to be there, I don't like him. I don't like being around him. So I probably wouldn't go. And you might think, well, Paul, <laughs> you can honor your boundaries with him. You can be around him. Absolutely. But why would I want to be around a dynamic that everyone has a certain feeling about this person in our entire time together, all they can think about is their fear of him coming over talking to them. I mean, that's not 100% true of why I said what I said, but that is a big part of it is that when you're with people and there's that one or two or more toxic elements in that group of people, most of the focus and the energy is about that person. And everyone around you is thinking, oh, God, I hope he doesn't come over here. <laughs> it may not always be that way. And I'm kind of projecting something that is more of a fantasy. I don't think it would ever happen where my stepfather would be in this mix of people. And I don't know. But my reply had to do with um, what I would do instead of that. Meaning, instead of being with all these people and him, I would invite only the people I really wanted to spend the most quality time with after the party and then we could have a really close bonding get together so again i'm not i'm not sure saying this is ever going to happen but when i think ahead and imagine a scenario where he shows up and i just don't want to be around that kind of energy i don't want to be around this toxic person that's going around speaking loudly saying inappropriate things it just doesn't make me feel good so how do I meet with all these family members, the ones I love and the ones I want to be with, in another way where he's not there? Well, I'll just create my own little party over here. <laughs> so after the, after the reunion, we'd, we'd go over someplace else without him, and we'd have a real bonding get-together. That wasn't my point about bringing up the family. My point about bringing up the family was sometimes you have these toxic elements in a family. If you don't like that term, use another term. But you know what I mean, the people that... You just don't want to be around the people that don't get along with anyone else. The person that's so right wing or left wing or liberal or whatever bothers you and they bring up their political views or somebody who is always asking you, why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have kids yet? And the conversation's always about that. Or they're always pessimistic. They're always complaining. Nothing in their life goes well and they're doing nothing about it, but they still complain about it. You know, there's these people in our family that have these certain quirks and characteristics. And I don't believe just because they're family that we should all hang out together. This is my point, is that I don't believe that family has to hang out together. I don't believe that family has to stay in touch forever. I believe that when you have members of a family or members of a group of people that all get along, then those people can get together and get along. But just because your brother and your uncle are part of the family, well, we should invite them to. I have a personal opinion that it's not necessary because they always cause trouble. <laughs> if they cause trouble, 
then nobody else has a good time. But at least these two people are invited and we all feel less guilty because we invited them now. I, I don't go in that direction. So that's what I was replying to in the, the Facebook thread is that you could go into a grocery store and select 30 random people and put them all together and tell them, hey, now you're our family. Now everyone has to get along because you're family or at least get along the best, uh, best that you can. And I have a feeling that 99% of the time you do this, there's going to be at least one, if not several people that have just such opposing perspectives and ideas and um, thoughts about the world, about people, about politics, about so many things, and maybe even have issues that they're dealing with, dysfunctions that somebody else might not get along with them because of those dysfunctions. And there's all kinds of things. When you bring 30 strangers together and you expect them all to get along, I would say most of the time it's not going to be the perfect world. Just like any family that multiplies and you have more and more members of the family, they are just a number of people with their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own beliefs, their own views about everything. And you bring all these people together just because their family shouldn't matter. I mean, again, this is my opinion. I'm not trying to trounce on anyone's family values or what it means to be blood relatives or relatives of any sort. I just think that when you put yourself in a situation where you are stressed out because your family doesn't get along, you have to remember that just like 30 strangers in a grocery store, there are members of your family that are just different and have different perspectives. So we have to accept that this person will not get along with that person because they grew up with their own ideas of the world, their own upbringing that conditioned them into their own beliefs and so on and so forth. So it helps me to understand that, oh, just because they're family doesn't mean I have to contact them every year, have to say happy birthday. I don't have to if I feel that they are not exactly um, healthy for me. I mean, sure, you can have acquaintance family members and say happy birthday and things like that. But if, if, they, if you really feel any type of energy depletion when you're around them, then what are you still doing associating with them? Again, take this for what it is. <laughs> there, there may be circumstances that you cannot avoid. And for that, I just say, you know, you just have to do what you can and keep finding new ways to communicate with them. Uh, but in general, I think um, it's important to understand that not only do you have your own set of beliefs and perceptions and values, but everyone else does. And just because they're family, you're not going to all always uh, vibe and synergize with each other. So that's good to know. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the 10 signs that you're being difficult or even manipulative to the people in your life, and you may not even know it. So this can kind of go hand in hand with the family members that you're around that they might not even know they're doing it. And I'm not saying it's your job to tell them what they're doing. I'm just saying if you know the signs, the symptoms, the behaviors that they may be doing unconsciously, that it's helpful for you to have a different perspective about that behavior. And when you have a different perspective, you're not so wholly ingrained in the upset by it. I think 
maybe saying it that way might not work, but you're not fully invested in your previous upset, if that makes sense. In other words, what used to upset you about their behavior, you don't take so personally anymore because, hey, maybe they don't even know they're doing it. And sometimes that's true. Did you know that when you say that, it feels like you're disrespecting me? What? I, I, I don't mean to disrespect you. I just have strong opinions about this subject. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I mean, they may say that. They may not. But that's the idea. Sometimes they don't always know. Sometimes you don't know. So that's what I'm going to talk about in the next segment. When we come back, I'm going to read you the list of the 10 signs that you're being difficult or even manipulative. And I'm also going to read you that email. And um, we'll go over that, too. Be right back. So speaking of walking into grocery stores, <laughs> I walked in the other day, needed eggs. I always I eat eggs every morning. And uh, on my way past the healthy food section, uh, you know, where they sell all the organic stuff, I saw RX bars. If you've been listening a while, you've heard me talk about RX bars. You've heard me rave about RX bars. And I'm here to do the same thing. I love RX bars. In fact, I'm running a little low. Got to get my chocolate chip or my chocolate coconut or anything with chocolate in it. <laughs> These RX bars, uh, they just came out with three new flavors. Um, where is it? Mango, pineapple, peanut butter and berries, and chocolate hazelnut. Now, they already have a lot of fantastic flavors. So I love the fact that they're coming out with more. Not because they need more. Like, I'm pretty happy with their selection. But because it's a variety of healthy food. Because RX bars, they don't have any added sugars. They have no artificial colors, no artificial flavors or preservatives or fillers. They're gluten-free. I have like six friends that are now gluten-free. They, they can't eat anything with gluten in it. So RX bars, gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. And they'll cover the gamut of um, flavors. The sweet, the savory, the chocolate, the fruit. There is absolutely an RX bar in here for you. And they're real ingredients. They are, they're real food ingredients and they taste really good. In fact, their core ingredients do all the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds with no BS. And besides the bars they create, they come out with an RX nut butter, which is a brand new product. And it's made with the same core ingredients and it's available in honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, regular peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. Great on pretzels, fruit, or just straight out of the pouch while you're on the go. I want you to consider what it would be like to have a chocolate sea salt or peanut butter chocolate or chocolate chip or coconut chocolate. I know, I go in the direction of the chocolates, but they also have mixed berries and blueberry and maple sea salt and apple cinnamon. There's just a ton of flavors to choose from. My favorite is the chocolate coconut, and I, I definitely eat them when I'm in a hurry somewhere, and I just don't have time to cook anything or do anything. And also, in between that uh, lunchtime and dinner time, sometimes I eat dinner really late, so it's just nice to have that bar to keep the edge off my hunger. And, of course, it's delicious, so <laughs> I look forward to it. Um, I want you to check them out. RX Bar is giving uh, the Overwhelmed Brain listeners 25% off their first order and free shipping if you go to rxbar.com forward slash brain. And you have to enter the promo code brain during checkout 
so you can get that discount. It's rxbar.com forward slash brain. Toss it in your backpack, put it in your pocket, take it with you, and enjoy it like I do. I know you're going to love it. All right, welcome back. I'm going to read you the 10 signs that you're being difficult or even manipulative to your romantic partner, to a friend, to a family member. This will help you understand what might be happening in your relationship, in your friendship, in your connection with this person, so that perhaps you can look inward and figure out, well, maybe there's something I can do differently, or maybe there's something I need to look at. Like I was saying, as soon as my wife said she wanted a divorce and the reality hit, I thought there's got to be something I need to look at here. My relationships keep ending. There's got to be something I need to look at. And if I had a list like this, or my list probably would have needed to be longer, (laughs) unfortunately, but that's that's what it was. And uh, if I had a list like this, it would certainly have helped me understand, oh, so all of that stuff she was experiencing it wasn't just her doing her creation, her problem. A lot of it was actually caused by me. Not that you had to take full responsibility, but uh, when you know what you're doing, you can also help the people that you love and you want to be with and you want to hang around with, you want to be friends with, you want to be family members with. When you know what you're doing, you can show up in a different way and maybe the relationship will change for the better. So let's start. The number one sign you're being difficult or even manipulative in the relationship is the person that you're around is feeling less and less happy, losing their spark and passion. This happened in my marriage. I I noticed my wife becoming less and less happy. And I thought, well, you know, she doesn't have a job. She's just working on herself and she's just losing something in her life. It's all her. Uh, Not realizing that my judgments, my emotionally abusive ways were wearing her down and she loved me. She didn't want to end the marriage. So she was trying to be the perfect wife or, you know, that's my words, but she was trying to do what she could, but she kept, uh, you know, it's that energy depletion. She kept losing her energy and losing her passion, losing her zest for life. I think those were her words. I'm losing my zest for life. And that's what led to our separation and so on and so forth. Uh, And this was important because in hindsight, I look at that and I go, geez, you know, if I really looked at our relationship and I saw her becoming more depleted in her energy and losing her passion and losing her zest, zest for life, I would look at myself and wonder, how am I causing this? Not that I'm the sole cause, but what am I doing to help cause this situation? Uh, So there's the first one that's good for introspection if you see this in someone else, especially if they don't feel this way with other people. Like if you see them with other people and they're happy and energized, but when they're with you, they're not, there's a sign. I mean, sometimes we need to be told this stuff. I'm only sharing this with you in case you've been with somebody for quite a while and you don't really notice it. It's helpful to say, hey, notice this, notice it. So let's get to number two. Uh, They are, and this is for romantic partners uh, or sexual connections of any sort, but uh, typically romantic partners, uh, they are less sexually interested in you. That's an important one. 
if there's less sexual interest, yes, there's other things that could be at play. There could be physical things going on. There could definitely be things going on in their life that you have nothing to do with. But it is, you know, one of the signs that you can look at in a bigger picture of other signs and think, well, is this part of it? So, okay, they're feeling less and less happy. They're losing their spark and passion. They're less sexually interested in me. Ah, you know, there's, there's some signs that are adding up. So that's just one of them. You want to be aware of it. If there's less sexual interest, uh, some people don't realize that an emotional stability, emotional connection is also the physical and sexual connection in our bodies. Like when I was emotionally depressed, repressing my emotions, suppressing my thoughts, and I fell into a depression many years ago, I was also uh, sexually what's the word unmotivated i was i was not motivated or even interested in sex and i was also too much information ed if you don't know what that is look it up <laughs> it's erectile dysfunction i'll just give it away but that was when i was in my full depression so i made the connection between hey when i repress my emotions and i am not expressing myself i'm also repressing my sexuality and that was a big thing for me i learned so much during my depression don't recommend it, <laughs> but if you're going to go through it, then start to be aware of what's going on with yourself, with your body in this list. When your partner, your sexual partner is less interested sexually in you, there's other reasons that could be that in a compound way where other these other signs are confirmed. That's something that can equate to what might be going on. All right, let's go to number three, which is they don't express to you as often as they used to. This is important. If there's someone in your life that used to express to you, that used to feel good sharing things with you, that used to be vulnerable with you, and that has slowly disappeared, that's faded, then that could be a sign that you're a difficult person and maybe even manipulative. Because that's what we're looking at here today. We're looking at what are the signs that me, the listener, you, are a difficult person or even manipulative to, to someone else. Because if you can understand how you're doing this, if it's happening, then you have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to look at that and figure out what you can do in your life that can improve this situation, that can improve yourself. So that's number three. Number four is you catch them in silly, unnecessary lies. For example, I didn't want you to be mad, so I didn't want to tell you I bought a box of cookies. That, to me, is a silly, unnecessary lie. I mean, of all lies, I didn't want to tell you I bought a box of cookies. Sure, there might be some judgments like, like I had in my marriage where I don't want her eating junk food. And that was a big judgment, me judging her about her emotional eating. So, of course, she is going to start developing lies about what she purchases when she's out and about. She is not going to share with me everything that she did because she knows some things set me off and put me into that emotionally abusive place. She didn't call it that back then. I didn't call it that back then, but that's what it was. My judgments toward her were very emotionally abusive, and she didn't want to experience that, so she would start developing these little, silly, unnecessary lies. They're not necessarily unnecessary. <laughs> They're not necessarily silly. I mean, she did it to protect herself. It was an absolute 
good reason for her to do that so she wouldn't experience my wrath. And I'm making it sound worse than it was, but it was pretty bad. But she wouldn't experience me judging her, so she would make up these lies. But someone looking on the outside might go, well, that's just a silly, unnecessary lie. Why would you, why would you be afraid to tell him that? It's like my first girlfriend a long time ago. Her best friend says, I don't want to tell him I went to the beach. He'd be so pissed. I was like, really? <laughs> I wouldn't want a relationship like that. And yet here I am 20 years later creating that relationship in a marriage, me being that emotionally abusive person, me being that difficult person. So if you're catching them in silly, unnecessary lies, hmm, how are you showing up in the relationship? Are you being difficult toward them when they say something that's so mundane and you go off, what? You did what? How much did you pay the lawnmower boy? $5 more than I wanted you to? Why would you do that? You know, <laughs> this kind of stuff may sound silly to some people, but may sound very serious to other people. So let's go to number five. Number five is uh, the person often says nothing's wrong when you can tell something is wrong. Now this is, again, one component of a bigger picture that when you take all the components and put them together, there could be some difficulty in this relationship. You could be the difficult person. They could be the difficult person. You might be relating to this from the opposite side. But usually, if this happens more often than not, they say nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. And you go, oh, are you sure? You, you just seem sad. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. That's okay once in a while. Somebody wants their space. They don't want to talk about it. But if it happens more often than not, then again, that's one of the compounding signs or signals that something else is going on. Because if they really trust you, if they really love you, if they really feel safe around you, if they really consider you a good friend or a good you know, loving family member, they're going to feel probably more safe expressing to you. But when they say, no, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, you know, other things could be going on in their life and they may not want to tell you. But again, you just look at this as one of the signs or signals that could be compounding with the others that might be included in this list. So there's that. Number six is they encourage you to find friends and get some me time. So this is a perfectly normal suggestion for anyone. Hey, you know, you should get out and find some friends. You know, get some of your time, get some me time. But when you notice with these other signs, if they, you know, add up, uh, having this sign of, hey, you know, you should, you know, find some friends, you know, go out there and, you know, enjoy yourself. And when that's happening, especially from a romantic partner, there might be something to that. There might be that person saying, you know, if he or she just found some friends, then they wouldn't be so upset with me all the time, or they wouldn't be so clingy with me all the time, or they just wouldn't be so difficult all the time. Maybe they need to go out every once in a while. Because I see them when I get home from work, and they're constantly in the same room, they're constantly hovering around me, or I just don't want to deal with them all the time, or, or whatever. If there is an encouragement to go find some friends, just something to think about, just something to add on to your introspection where you go inside and think, hmm, am I hovering too much? Am I always nagging at this person? Am I doing something that's annoying them? Am I not, am I not giving them enough me time? Because you'll often find that. Someone suggests for you to do something that they need. Because uh, let's just say your partner needs more me time. They might say, you need some me time. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a passive way to say, 
you know what? I need me time. I prefer when people show up and say, hey, look, I need some me time. You need to leave me alone for an hour or a, a, a night. Leave me alone the whole night. Um, I prefer that. That way there's real honest conversation. But you might hear it this way too. You know, you need some me time. You need some friends. And that could be true. Number seven, uh, they sometimes go overboard trying to please you or make you happy. I find this one often in relationships where one person is very difficult and the other person is, you know, trying to be kind, trying to be compassionate and tries so hard to please this other person. Maybe if I try harder, they'll stop being mean to me. I mean, I've heard pretty much that similar sentiment from my clients. Maybe if I make them dinner every night, they'll start being nice to me. Don't fall for that. I know it's difficult in some relationships because you've established certain patterns and certain behaviors and things like that. But don't fall for the nicer I have to be. Maybe they'll be nice to me. Don't fall for that. Because if they're not already nice to you, there's already a problem. So this number seven, they sometimes go overboard. If your partner or your friend or your family member sometimes goes overboard trying to please you to make you happy, you have to look inward and think to yourself, am I just a difficult person? Do I show up in a way that really makes them think I'm always unhappy or always upset? Because if that's true and they're trying to go overboard trying to please me, maybe I need to look at the way I show up. Maybe there's something going on in me. All right, let's go to number eight. You agree to do things, but then you don't follow through. I see this a lot with indecisive people, non-committing people. I hate to say this, guys. It's usually guys. It's usually guys who are more indecisive and more non-committing. They say, oh, that's great. Let's do this. I'm going to buy the tickets and we'll go. That'll be awesome. And then three weeks later, their partner is excited to go. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. And they ask the person, are you excited to go? And they and the partner says, what? What do you mean? I'm excited to go where? What do you mean excited to go where? We got this thing coming up and you bought the tickets. And the person goes, I, I didn't buy any tickets. And the other person says, You're, you said you were going to buy tickets. I thought you were, you were excited to go. Oh, I am excited to go. Yes, I'll, I'll buy the tickets. I'll buy the tickets. And it cycle starts all over again or something. Or they say, oh, I, I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Which can happen. That's excusable sometimes. But I'm talking about a pattern where someone promises something and they commit to something and they're very serious about it and they do nothing. I hate to say this. This is a personality quirk that some people have. They absolutely want to 100% commit and they say they'll do it and then they don't do it. Once in a while, I can understand there might have been a mistake, there might have been an interruption, there might have been interference, and you couldn't do it. But when it happens more often than not, that's a problem. That's a sign of difficulty or even manipulation. So if you find yourself doing this, committing to things and not following through, that's called incongruence, your intentions, your thoughts, your behavior doesn't match your actions, and that incongruence drives people crazy and it also makes them think that you don't care and you don't love them and you don't respect them you don't respect their time you don't care they just think you don't care 
if you honestly don't care, that's your prerogative, but don't put that person through the paces. Just say, I don't care. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I would rather hear my girlfriend say, I really don't care about that. I don't want to do that. Then have her say, oh, that sounds great. Let's do it together. I'm excited about it too. Uh, I'll, I'll get the tickets. I'll do this. I'll do that. And then have weeks go by and then me very excited about it for weeks only to get this huge letdown that my girlfriend says, huh? Oh, I didn't get those tickets. Oh, you know, I didn't really care about that anyway. Or, you know, whatever she says. That would just be a huge letdown. So imagine you doing this to someone over and over again, or them doing it to you over and over again. Hey, we're going to do this. Oh, we didn't do it. You get them excited. You bring them to the peak of happiness, and then you drop them off and put them in the bucket of despair. When you do this to someone, you create almost bipolar behavior because they are depending on you. They are trusting you. They feel like you're a congruent person and then you show up incongruent and suddenly your relationship is going downhill and you don't know why. That's because you're probably being manipulative or difficult if that's what you're doing. All right, we got two more. Number nine, you don't care if they're happy or not. And this goes right along the same lines uh, of number one and the last one I just talked to. Number one is they're feeling less and less happy, losing their spark and passion. And number eight that we just read is that you agree to do things and then don't follow through. Actually, a lot of these relate to number nine. Number nine, you don't care if they're happy or not. Seriously, if, if you really don't care if they're happy or not, then it's probably not a relationship you should have. I'm just going to put that out there. I might be wrong. But I think I'm right. If you don't care if someone else is happy, then what's the point? What's the point of being in a relationship if you can look at someone that's right across from you, another life, another being that has chosen to spend their time and energy with you, of all the billions of people in the world, they've made that choice to be with you. If you don't care if they're happy, then what are you doing in that relationship? What are you doing in that friendship? What are you doing in that family dynamic? Family is the wonky one. <laughs> Family has different definitions, I understand. But if you really don't care if that person's happy, I mean, in work situations, that might, that might not be a valid question. I don't care if my coworker's happy. I just have to get my job done. It, or even family. I don't care if they're ha happy or not. They don't like me. I don't like them. But we get along. That's fine. Great. That could be the situation. But if you're with someone that technically you're supposed to care about, you know, romantic relationship, marriage, even a friendship, but you don't care if they're happy, then I say, what's the point? Because what happens is when you don't care if they're happy, you really have no investment in the relationship. So this could be a sign that you are a difficult person. If you're staying in a relationship where you don't care if they're happy or not, then you're the difficult one. All right, I said it. <laughs> I might be lambasted for that one, but I'm just putting that out there. Let's go to number 10. Uh, last one, and this is a big one. Uh, you believe that all the relationship problems are their responsibility. Hey, I don't care if you're happy or not. And you have all these relationship problems because I'm perfect. Nothing I do is wrong. And I see nothing wrong with the relationship. I'm being very sarcastic. I see nothing wrong with the relationship. I'm sounding like um, the smarmy, arrogant person that knows that all the problems with the relationship are on the other person. 
you take care of all these problems. And when you're done taking care of those problems, then we can have a good relationship. As soon as you adopt that attitude, you've already destroyed the relationship. That's a huge accusation for me. I realize that. But I want it to be really ingrained in you. As soon as you lay every single responsibility and obligation on someone else to take care of the problems in the relationship, you have ruined the relationship. You have said, I'm not your partner anymore. This is not an equal relationship anymore. I'm not on this seesaw where I keep one end of the relationship balanced and you keep the other end of the relationship balanced so that we can have synergy, so we can have balance. I'm not going to be on that seesaw anymore. So what I'm going to do is get off, you're going to hit the ground, and all the weight and responsibility and obligation is now on you. And I know somebody's going to say, but Paul... They are the ones whining. They are the ones complaining. Or if it's not whining and complaining, they are the cause of all the problems. And I come right back to you play a role. How have you let them get away with what they're getting away with, if that's the case? How have you enabled this imbalance? How have you enabled this continuing dysfunction This is not a functional relationship when one person is responsible for doing all the work. It's just not. Even when you know that you're doing nothing wrong and you're showing up perfectly, if your partner's unhappy and you don't care that they're unhappy and you put all the burden of responsibility and obligation to fix things in the relationship, which is we, not them, then what you've essentially done is say, We're not in a relationship. You are the problem. And once you fix those problems, I'll be happy to come back into this, quote, fixed relationship. I cannot stress the amount of ignorance in a comment like that, even though it's a fantasy comment, but it might be said in different ways with different people. The amount of ignorance that you have no responsibility in the problems, even if they are, they're betraying, they're cheating, they're lying, all this other stuff. You still have a responsibility if you want the relationship to prosper. They're doing all the bad stuff, Paul. What do I do? They're doing all the bad stuff. Then you have to consider if this relationship is even worth saving. I mean, you still have a responsibility because if you decide to stay with someone that you know is doing all of this bad stuff, then you staying in that situation tells them that their behavior is acceptable. There is some gray area here. I'm not talking about the gray areas. I'm just talking about, in general, when you have two people that are supposed to balance the seesaw, you know what that is, right? (laughs) The teeter-totter. And one of them gets off, then it's very difficult for someone to play on a seesaw without a partner. I mean, you can't do it. You, You cannot use a seesaw without a partner. So I'm going to use that analogy for this segment about relationships. If you get off the seesaw and you let the other person deal with all the problems, responsibilities, and you have to fix it, and you have to find the balance, good luck finding the balance without a partner. So I'm going to be over here until you get that done. That just doesn't work. This can go into a deeper discussion about enabling and accountability and stuff like that, what I talked about earlier. 
Uh, but you get the picture. It's like if you have someone that doesn't believe they're doing anything wrong and isn't willing to at least take the steps, even if they don't believe they should take the steps, but at least willing to take the steps and be introspective and maybe talk to a professional either together or by themselves. If they're not willing to do any of this stuff and they're not willing to be humble that they could perhaps be contributing to the relationship issues, then you may have someone that's being very difficult or manipulative and that could be a big problem. So there's my list that may help you understand the signs of difficulty or manipulation in a relationship. It's very non-exclusive. It's a tiny little component of a bigger list. Like I said earlier, I have a, a workbook that really dives into this big time with a 200-point assessment. It's called the Mean Workbook, which I'll talk about at the end of the show. But I wanted to give you this as something tangible that you could use for yourself right now so that you can possibly understand what might be happening in a relationship, in your relationship, if anything is happening like that. And these things are good to know for any type of relationship. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. When we come back, I'm going to say some thank yous, and um, I'm going to read you the email I received that really prompted this episode in the first place. And then we'll say goodbye, and uh, I'll wish you well. I'll be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, RxBar. Love them. Go to rxbar.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain during checkout and get 25% off your first order. And I want to thank the newest patron members, Tyler and Angeliki, I think. And uh, Tyler and Angeliki, thank you so much for joining and supporting the show. And of course, there's so many other patron members I want to thank. Courtney, Greg, Aaron. I haven't heard from you in a while. Aaron, Grace, uh, great to connect with you here, Grace. Lisa and Kelly, so many people and um, a lot of longtime supporters as well. Keeps the show going and it shows your support. If you feel like you're learning something in the overwhelmed brain and you're getting value from it and you want to give your thanks and show your support, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and that's where you can do that. Plus, I just came up with another new private episode in the patron program. We're up to 84, 85. been slacking a little bit lately, but I'm trying to get more and more episodes on there so that when you join the program, not only do you have all those private episodes that you've never heard, but you have all these free workbooks and worksheets to help you through some of the challenges in your life. And it's my way of uh, giving you even more when you support the show. So thank you so much, Patreon members. I appreciate you. And of course, everyone using the Amazon button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com or the donate button on theoverwhelmedbrain.com is absolutely essential to keeping the show going. I appreciate you as well. And I was telling you about the Mean Workbook in a couple segments, and um, the Mean Workbook is an assessment and a guide for difficult relationships. What it does is it helps you pinpoint the behavior that's happening in the relationship you know, the kind of behavior that you have a hard time describing to friends and family. You say, you know, I'm not sure what he or she is doing, but they're doing it. And it makes me feel bad about myself. And it makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong. I mean, if you ever have these feelings or anything like it, that makes you think, why is my relationship so difficult? Why does it have to be this way? It doesn't. And I want you to know why. 
That's why I created the Mean Workbook. It took me about a year to put together and talk with other experts in the field about uh, emotional abuse and manipulation. Even if you don't think you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, there's a lot of signs and symptoms of what that means and um, what you could be going through as well. And it's not only just an assessment and evaluation, it's also a resource to help you through and out of any type of manipulation or emotional abuse or difficulty so that you can feel empowered again, feel like you can actually be happy, you know, happier in your relationship or happy in general if you're not happy. I want you to feel better. So if you're in any type of difficult relationship and you're looking for something to help you assess what the heck is going on, go to loveandabuse.com and check out the Mean Workbook today. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And like I said, I'm going to read you this email and make some comments on it. Uh, I'm going to call this person something I haven't used in a while, uh, Christine. All right, I had to type it in. (laughs) Hi, Paul, I'm Christine. Uh, I would like to ask you some questions on an article you wrote about manipulation. I don't think I'm very good at relationships. I think I'm the manipulative one. After reading your blog and listening to your podcast, I find behaviors that I do seem to point to manipulation. One question I've been holding on to for a long time is, how am I supposed to know that my behavior is doing harm when the, when the other person never tells me what's wrong? In my last relationship, when things weren't going well, I'd ask him, what's wrong? And he'd say things like, well, I got caught up at work or something else, and I know he told me the truth. So I asked him, if he wanted space or if he wanted me to leave him alone for a while and if I'd done anything to upset him. Uh, He'd say no to all of that, but he kept distancing himself from me and told me nothing. So I really don't understand anything that I did wrong. I tried to have discussions, but how am I supposed to make things better if the other person refuses to talk? And how do I find the balance between satisfying my own needs while feeding theirs? I should probably find out on my own, but I always think too much and I end up getting confused and tired. So I decided to ask you. I personally know that I need to work on my insecurities and self-worth. So it can be that I just think I'm the bad one, even though that may not be true. I wouldn't say I did perfectly in the relationship, but at least I tried to talk and show him that I was willing to listen. But he couldn't say it. Maybe because I was manipulative? I don't know. Thanks for reading this. Best regards, Christine. Okay, Christine, thank you so much for writing this to me. It was a few months ago. I don't know if things have changed for you, uh, but I have a feeling you're still probably searching within for these answers and reaching out for these answers. Uh, Thank you for writing this again. The first place I go to with your email is something I often see in relationships, which is when someone doesn't really want to share with you that something's wrong. What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I, I got caught up at work. I, I'm a little upset at my mom or whatever. When somebody doesn't want to share things with you, I always check their partner's behavior first. Meaning the person who doesn't want to share their partner, I always check their behavior first. If I came up to you, Christine, let's just say that we were going out and we've been going out for a couple of years and everything is great. But somebody at work flirted with me and I actually liked it. Let's just say I came home and told you this. You know what? Somebody flirted with me at work and I it felt so masculine. I felt like I had a lot of power. It just felt so good to know that I was attractive. If I came home and said that to you, Christine, would you flip out? 
you flirted with somebody at work or you let her flirt with you? Didn't you tell her that you had a girlfriend? Would you say that? Because if that would be your reaction, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying if that would be your reaction, then me as your partner are going to think, oh, I better not share stuff like that with her anymore. Because if I do, I'll get this reaction. And if I get that reaction, that doesn't feel very good. In fact, it hurts. So from this point on, if that ever happens again, I'll just stay silent about it. And then when it happens again, I'm not going to mention it. I mean, I'm not saying that I would actually do this behavior, but I'm saying that in a, in a relationship where a partner really has a strong reaction to something, the partner who wants to share now has to hold back and think, wow, if I share this, he or she is going to explode. I better not share this. Or I better minimize it. Or I better say it in a way that um, doesn't upset them. Or again, I better not say anything at all. So if the partner who hears the news has an explosion, the partner who tells the news will start to become more and more distant and silent. So I'm only presenting this to you, Christine, if that's you. If it's not you, if I came home and I said, hey, you know, this happened and I felt like a man, I couldn't believe it. And you said, what? You're crazy. And you laughed about it. Well, did you flirt back? I'd be like, no, I didn't flirt back. But it was just nice, that feeling to that knows I'm still attractive. You know, of course, she knows I have a girlfriend and so on and so forth. It would be a healthy, fun conversation in a relationship. And I would know that it was safe to share things like that with you. Because why else would I share that with you? I mean, if I really thought that you'd take that as a threat, I wouldn't have shared it with you. Because it wasn't a threat. In other words... If I was interested in someone else, why would I come home and tell you, hey, I'm interested in this other person and I'm flirting with them. just want to let you know. <laughs> I mean, because that's probably how you took it. No, I'm telling you this because I found it funny and I believe our relationship is safe enough and that we have an honest enough relationship where I can share this stuff and it won't be a problem. However, if it was a problem, if you had this reaction, I would have to recoil and go, whoa, I, I don't know if I can handle that again. Don't want that kind of reaction. I better close off about that. And how many other topics of interest would I have to close off about because I don't want that reaction? Because this is what's going to happen. This happens in a lot of relationships. One person decides to become less and less expressive because the other person has an explosive reaction to it. Or, you know, a reaction that's very unappealing to the person expressing. So I'm just asking you this, Christine, uh, just to make sure that if you do have this type of reaction, then what you do, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong reaction, but what you might be doing is creating an unsafe environment for someone to be themselves. And that's, a, that's such an important component of a relationship to create a safe environment where somebody can be themselves and when you take that away from the other person, they start changing. They start adapting. They start morphing into something else that becomes less and less connected, less and less honest, less and less expressive, less and less authentic. And that inauthenticity starts to permeate into the relationship in so many other ways. So I, the reason I bring that up is because if that's you, Christine, that might be one of the major reasons this stuff is happening. And if you do have maybe a 
jealousy part about you or possessiveness part about you or something that causes you to have these overreactions, especially with people who are being honest, then that's something to look at. If that's not you, then maybe somebody else can benefit from that information. But that's the first place I go. The second place I go is the question that you asked, uh, how am I supposed to make things better if the other person refuses to talk? That's an absolutely valid question. Hey, what's wrong? Eh, nothing's wrong. You know, I, I'm just tired. I'm just, I went to work and I stayed up late. I went to work early. Uh, how do you get information out of someone that uh, doesn't talk? Well, yes, there's probably a couple psychological techniques I could teach you. But A, if they're not worried about any type of explosive reaction from you, and that's not it, then B, they may have their own limitations of expression that even if you don't explode, even if you're open and welcome and able to hear whatever they have to say, they still may be carrying a fear around with them that it's unsafe to express things when they're down or unsafe to express what's really going on. I do find that when the silent, it's not really the silent treatment because they're saying something like, oh, nothing's wrong, but it sort of is. But I do find that as silence starts to grow in a relationship, when there's a feeling of disconnect or what's wrong, you know, there's that feeling of what's wrong. When that increases in a relationship, there's sometimes an air of growing distant emotionally. And you have to be very aware of this when it first starts. And the best way to be aware of it is to have the most open and honest communications you can have with each other. And this starts right from the get-go. I mean, when I met my girlfriend, we had some very open, honest communications, some of it which I thought would lead to the end of the relationship. I mean, that's how honest you have to be. I mean, you don't have to be, but that's how honest I would recommend. You have to address the hard stuff. Don't sweep it under the rug. You have to address the hard stuff. Like I told her, I'm never going to move from New Hampshire, so I don't know what that means. And she said, I'm never going to move from Georgia, so I don't know what that means. And we wanted to be together, but I said, I'm never going to do it. I, I realized that's what I wanted for myself. I was telling her, honestly, this is what I want for myself. I wasn't telling her, you need to move here. And she wasn't telling me that I need to move there. Although if we're going to have a relationship, that would be the only option because her kid was down in Georgia where I am now. But I really had to be clear in myself what I wanted. And that came up. And I thought, geez, you know, I don't want to move from New Hampshire. I want to stay here. And so I told her this. And I, it, I knew it would be probably the relationship ending thing to talk about. And after we talked about it, a couple of days went by. I changed my mind. <laughs> I just said, you know, I've thought about it and I realized, wait, I can move down there. And if I have a problem, I just move back up. Why didn't I think about this earlier? But I'm so glad we talked about it because what happened after I moved down and, you know, we would think about all the conversations we used to have and that conversation came up and she goes, you know what? I am so glad you told me that you didn't want to move, that you wanted to stay in New Hampshire. And I thought, really? I mean, I, I thought that would upset you. And she goes, it was. It was sad because I thought, you know, we could have something. But it made me feel good that you could be honest with me, even though you knew that it would probably end the relationship. It made me feel really good that you could tell me something knowing that it 
actually might uh, hurt me in some way, yet you'd still do it because it was honest. I mean, it really showed me the, the kind of person that you were. I don't know if those are her exact words, but that's the vibe I got when she told me. It, and it really made me feel good knowing that you weren't going to sugarcoat anything and pretend that I couldn't handle it. And you were prepared to follow your path too. And that was something else important to her. She said, you know, I've had guys just follow their heart, follow me around. And they were like a little puppy and they always wanted to be with me. And it was very clingy. And, you know, it, it, it gets a little sickening because they don't have their own life. They just follow me around. And you said, no, I'm going to do this. And that made me feel really good knowing that you weren't going to just come down for me. As odd as that sounds for some people, that might sound really strange. You're not going to go down there for her. When you find someone that does something they want to do for themselves, that's a great person to find because when they want to share their life with you, they want to go along their path with you. I mean, that's a great quality, I think, to find in a person because they're saying that, hey, I want to live my life and enjoy my life and do whatever I can in my life and accomplish my goals and follow my dreams and follow my heart even. And I can do this alone, but I would also like to do it with you. That's a really, I think, healthy type of connection to have. I mean, there are all kinds of connections to have. And some can go deeper, some can go in different ways. But she really appreciated this. And it, it made me realize, um, wow, first of all, I said the right thing. <laughs> Not that I was trying to say the right thing and be influential at all. But it made me also realize that, hey, you know, I'm following my own path for once instead of following my heart and going wherever the girl is. That used to be me. I'm just going to go wherever the girl is and sell my condo and, and forget my job and everything that was important to me. I made it all about her and my entire investment, all my energy was about her. And that's a lot of pressure to put on someone, especially when you give everything up and be with that person. So the only reason I bring that up and I'm not judging anybody for doing any of this stuff. I've done all of it. <laughs> and uh, I'm just saying that for Christine's sake, if you're not having the difficult conversations, if you have some feeling that comes up or some thought that comes up in your relationship and you decide, well, I'm just going to go into denial and hope it goes away. Instead of talking about it, this distancing will happen. This emotional disconnect, this rift will widen because you keep sweeping things under the rug. You keep thinking that it's better not to talk about it because they might be upset. I say bring up the stuff that you know will be upsetting even if it means the relationship could end. I know it's probably the hardest thing to think about that you want to bring something up that you know will upset them. But what happens is you create an authentic bond. You create a safe place to share even though there could be upset. And I have just found this over and over again to be the way to go. Because every time I've brought something up that was very difficult to talk about and just put it on the table, it becomes tangible, we can talk about it, the really hard, possibly relationship-ending stuff, it strengthened our bond even more. We got through it. It was that difficult time that we got through and made us form an even stronger bond, more loving, more connected. And I refuse to hide or, or not talk about things that are important because then I always had that feeling inside of me. You ever carry like that feeling inside of you like, 
oh, geez, I should really talk about this, or I don't want to talk about this, I don't want to bring it up, but you're always in that sort of semi-triggered state. It's almost that low-level anxiety or a low-level yucky feeling. I hate having that feeling. So I bring this feeling up as a topic of conversation. God, I'm, I'm feeling this way because you were talking to that guy and I'm having these feelings and blah, blah, blah. And then we can have a conversation. I may not want to say it, but I'm going to say it. So that's another angle of this, Christine, that um, maybe you can look at if that was a part of what was going on. And the final thing I'll address here, Christine, is you say you personally know, know that you need to work on your insecurities and self-worth. So this kind of makes me think that perhaps I was right about some of the stuff. Perhaps I was on the right uh, path of what I was talking about with you in this, in this email as far as not wanting to share things because of an insecurity, because of a, a self-worth issue. Because it is hard that if you have an insecurity, like um, he might leave me if I bring this up. There's an insecurity, or at least a component of an insecurity, where if I bring this up, he might leave me and I can't stand rejection. And if I'm rejected, then that will continue to add to my low self-worth. So I just won't bring this up. And the more you do this, the more the rift grows. And it's so important for you to bring this stuff up at risk of your self-worth. This is my personal advice to you. If I was your friend, I would say, you need to talk about this with him. You need to bring this up. And you're going to say, I can't because if he leaves me, I'll be crushed. But if you don't bring it up, he's going to leave you and you will be crushed. I mean, imagine you're going to get the same outcome either way, which is not necessarily true, but I'm just putting it out there so you can try this on. Let's just say that you got the same outcome either way. He'll leave you and you'll be crushed. Would you rather not take the risk and talk about something that is really affecting you and be honest about it and have that risk come to a stronger bond because you get through it or not talk about it and have the rift grow so that you grow so distant that you break up? I mean, I will tell you this, not talking about it will eventually lead to separation of some sort. Unless you find someone that really corners you and say, hey, look, I know you, there's something on your mind. Let's talk about it. I, you've been upset. You've been distant. Let's talk about it. If you can find somebody like that that can really pull it out of you, that can be a good thing too. That can be a good person to find. It's great though when you can do it yourself. Bring it up saying, look, this is going to be hard to talk about. I'm, I'm so afraid to tell you what I want to tell you. And I'm afraid that you're going to leave me because of this. I'm afraid you're going to crush my heart because of this. But I'm going to tell you anyway because I want to be honest. So that might be a conversation to have. Now, it could be even deeper than that. It could be you depending on this other person so much that you get all your love and all your happiness from another person instead of that being self-fulfilling, bringing a happy, loving person into a relationship. You know the difference, right? Where you can work on yourself and love yourself and be compassionate towards yourself and work on healing that self-worth and giving yourself more love and, and raising that self-esteem. And I talk about that in several episodes where you finally get to a place where, hmm, I feel good in my own skin. I want to take this good feeling and be in a relationship now. Instead of being in a place of deficit 
where you don't feel very happy, you don't feel very loving or loved, you just don't feel like you're complete and you need someone else to complete you. You've heard that. You, you, don't, you need someone else to complete you. And when you do that, when you feel like you're just never going to be happy without someone else in your life, and then when they come in your life, they are the source of your happiness, that puts the pressure on them to always be there, and that pressure wears them out. I mean, that's the basics of it. If you put pressure on someone to be the only source of love, the only source of worth, the only source of your self-esteem, your happiness, your sense of importance, your sense of significance. If all those have to come from someone else, then you've just made them your energy source that you are draining. So if you're going to take anything away from what I'm saying here today is that don't make someone else your energy source. And yes, you might have a lot of work to do on yourself. This is why I do this show. This is why I have episodes on self-worth and self-esteem and building up your personal power. I want you to get to that place so that instead of using someone else as an energy source, you bring your energy source with someone else who has their energy source, and then you create a lot of power together. And that power creates an awesome relationship, something that amplifies each other instead of one being the source and one being the draw. I'm drawing from the source constantly. The source gets tired. The source wants distance. The source doesn't want to have to do this anymore. And they will slowly grow distant. So don't look for your energy source. Be your own source. And I'm not talking about God and religion. That's a whole separate issue. You can look at that as the source if you want. But I'm talking about relationships where you have a source of power because you are not bringing your power into it because you don't have that power for yourself. It does take work. I'm not saying it's easy, but this is why it's so important to continue working on yourself. And also, like I say every week, keep an open mind so that you can step into that power when it arrives. I appreciate you, Christine. Thank you so much for writing this. And absolutely, I want you to keep an open mind because with that open mind, you will be more prepared to handle the crises that come along so that when you are ready to share something that might be hard for you to talk about for someone else to hear that an open mind will allow you to realize that what you think is going to be the conclusion may not be that's why it's nice to have an open mind because we lock ourselves into these conclusions oh if i say this this is going to happen that's a locked conclusion that isn't always true. In fact, every time I've tested this, which I've done it a lot, I've found that the conclusion that I expected didn't happen at all. And the people that I thought would leave me, not only did they not leave me, but they got closer to me. It was hard. We had hard conversations and there was crying and there was hurt feelings, but getting through those hard times creates such a bond. And I'm not saying that you will always get through the hard times because sometimes the relationship isn't meant to survive that. And a lot of times when it doesn't survive one or two hard talks, it probably wouldn't survive a lot of other stuff that will come along. So that's why it's good to have these kind of hard talks to test the resilience, to to test the strength of the relationship. And when you do survive those hard conversations, you come out of it with less stress and less emotional weight and you just feel lighter 
going forward because you addressed it. And for the subjects that you can't get closure on, yeah, sometimes it takes a lot more work. I get it. <laughs> and there are so many other subjects that can come up in our lives that maybe there's no solution. That can happen too. But like I'm saying, keep an open mind. You never know where the solution is going to come from and you never know what it's going to be. With your mind open, you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Yeah.